Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses, Appleton Campus, Brookfield Campus, Germantown Campus, Milwaukee Campus? And can I just say, I had no doubt that you would be in the house today. Amen. I mean, you, you need like high five each other and just say, you look good today. Just turn to your neighbor right now. Doesn't matter what campus, even if you're online, you have to talk to yourself. Just say, you look good. And then turn back to them and say, I know. Just say it like that. I know. Just kind of dip your head. I know. This is how, this is what I got. This is it. This is everything. Man, it is good to see you. Great to have you here. And uh, we're going to get ready to get into this series. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jude. Jude is a great book because it's one chapter. You can read an entire book, one chapter, 25 verses. I'm telling you, trust me. How do I read 50 books a year? This is stuff like this. (laughs) Amen. You're going to get with me by the time we get done with this. Uh, I I just want to encourage you to mark your calendars for a week from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for the Revival Gatherings. And uh, the guys that we have coming, I truly do believe are men that God wants to speak and that we need to come in here. The thing I love about these meetings is this is not about, listen, this is not like a, um, like don't invite people kind of a deal. Does that make sense? You're, you don't hear me say that very often. Like you need to come for you. You just need to say, man, this is kind of a personal retreat for me. I don't, we don't do that very often at Life Church, but especially on weekends, we believe that church exists for people far away from Christ. But on this deal, it's really more about come and we're going to worship, we're going to hear a word, and we're going to have time to respond in the altar. And that's what we're going to do every night. There's not an offering, there's not a special presentation. It is, and so Monday night is Chet Pete from Charlotte, uh, Stephen Furtick. He's one of his campus pastors. Chet's going to come and give a great message. I think you're going to totally love him. And then on Tuesday night, we're going to have Brad Trask, who's a personal friend of mine from the Detroit area, pastors a great church in Brighton. And, uh, and so he's going to come and going to give an incredible message. And then Wednesday night is Luke Barnett, who pastors Dream City Church in Phoenix. And Luke's going to come and give a great message. Uh, Luke is an avid golfer. And he said to me, hey, man, are any of the courses open? And I went, we may be having snow by that time. And he was like, whoa. So anyhow, but uh, so, so anyhow, we're going to have a great time. And so I just want you to be here. All the, everything's going to happen at Germantown. But please join me. I'm going to be here. I hope you'll be here. This room will be full. God's presence will be here. And he'll do some amazing, amazing things in our lives. And so today, I, I want to get start this series and, um, and that we're going to be doing for the next three weeks. And so I hope you'll join me for the next three weeks. I'm going to be speaking on this the next three weeks. If you're watching online or at the various campuses, you're going to see me. Uh, Some of the campus pastors will be speaking at some of the campuses. We're all preaching the same message uh, and uh, kind of the same outline and the same deal. But I'm going to be preaching this these next three weeks. This is really one of those things that back in the summer, I was just like, this is what we need to do. Let's just kind of call an audible and kind of just make a shift a bit. And let's put this into the fall lineup of what we're talking about. See, Jude is a very simple book, uh, 25 verses. It was written by the half brother of Jesus. And what's happening is this is about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, three decades. So these people that Jude is speaking to would have been Christians would have been living, would have been most of them Jews during the time of Jesus. And yet they are finding themselves just 30 years later, kind of falling away from the faith. 
They're finding themselves watering down the gospel. They're finding themselves dealing with societal pressures and deconstructive theology of saying, well, do we really believe that? And did Jesus really mean that? And is it really like that? And what about this? And how much of the Old Testament? Is it just historical or is it really applicable? I mean, where, where do we start? Where do we stop? What's going? All of that's going on. And the reason why we're talking about this today is because the exact same issues some 2,000 years later we're dealing with. Can I tell you why? Some people go, well, man, just, it's America. It's America. America. It's just America, man. We're just, we're losing it. It's going to hell in a handbasket. It's just, it's this and this and this and this. And there may be truth to what you're saying, but no, that's not it. Well, it's just, you know, it, Jesus is coming back and, and this is the world just kind of falling apart. And that, there may be some truth to that, but that's not it. The reason why we deal with this issue, the reason why Jude wrote on this issue under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it's because this is humanity. All throughout Scripture, we see this. This is one of the reasons why we have a full Bible, a full canon of Scripture. Because it shows us that people, you and I, flesh and blood, have a tendency to kind of compromise, to kind of walk away from, to kind of water down, to kind of soft sell, to kind of spin, to rationalize our own behavior, the behavior of others. Because when things get tough, it's like, well, I don't want to be the heavy and I don't want to be mean and, and I don't want to be unkind and I don't want to be. And the enemy of our soul knows us and begins to kind of play on those emotions and those feelings. And what Jude is talking about is what we're dealing with today. It's not because of the world or the end times. It's because it's us. It's flesh and blood. We have this leaning always to kind of go this watered down, compromising, rationalized behavior. And you see it over and over and over in Scripture. That's the reason why the Bible is so powerful, because it's timeless. We believe at Life Church that God's Word is infallible, which means it will never fail. It works 100% of the time, anywhere, any day of the week, and twice on Sundays. Secondly, we believe that the word of God is inspired, which means God gave these words and men wrote them down as the Holy Spirit gave them the words. And we believe that it's inerrant, which means it has no error. It has no conflict with. And again, if you want to get into a theological debate about this, I would love to spend three hours of your time and we can di diagnose this and download this. This is one of my favorite conversations to debate. This is one of my high school Lincoln-Douglas debate. I wish I was an attorney. It's my, it's my wanting to be Tom Cruise with, John, with, with uh, Jack Nicholas. You can't handle the truth, few good men moments. We can do that for three hours. You will get offended. I'll feel good. And I'll be right, amen? But, but, but if that's what you need, if that's what you need to work it through your system, let's just make that happen. You can't handle the truth. Okay. But in all seriousness today, first four verses I want to cover, and then I'm just going to walk through this in these next couple of weeks. If you know someone in this series who is not going to church anymore and they used to go to church, this is a great series to say, hey, why don't you come back? If you know someone who is, um, let's just say, says no one, no church preaches the truth anymore, everybody's christianity light. this is a good series to invite them to. And if you know someone who just really is seeking truth, this is a great series, because that's exactly what Jude talks about. Jude chapter 1, so in one chapter, got it? Verses 1 through 4, we're, we're going we're to read this together. In a world that promotes subjectivity in all things. 
So everything becomes relative. There is no absolute truth. Whatever's true for you may not be true for me. Therefore, you can be whatever you want to be. Uh, you can assign whatever, whatever anything to yourself. And Jude reminds us that truth is objective and that it's rooted in God's word. In this, and in this message today, these four verses, he presents us with two simple questions that we're going to look at the answers and, and, the, and the consequences. Jude 1 through 4. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who are called beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love how he just gets them all warmed up before he just drops them on. Beloved, he's fixing to really tell them the truth on that one. Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, this is speaking to the church, unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, or our, our God, into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And this is this whole book is like this. We're just getting started. He has two questions. First question, will you defend the truth? Will you defend the truth? Jude is writing, writing to Christ followers, Jewish background, who would have understood, who would have seen, lived, been around during the time of Jesus. And he's asking them this question, will you defend the truth? Look back at verse number three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. That word contend in the original Greek language that it's written in, it's a unique phrase. It means to struggle or to fight for. To struggle or to fight for. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to struggle for the faith. To fight for the faith. Again, he's not talking about, he's not speaking to people outside the church. He's speaking to people inside the church. Uh, in, in the King James, it says to earnestly contend. The, the New Living Translation says to defend. The message paraphrase, to fight with everything you have. John Piper, the theologian, says this. Assured victory of the believing church does not mean that we don't have to fight to win. Sometimes we think... We don't ever have to contend. We don't ever have to fight for. We don't ever have to struggle for this thing called faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, if 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they're having to do it, you and I, 2,000 years later, are going to definitely have to do it. Why? Because there's so much expanse of time. And so we live in a day and age where biblical Christianity, we have to remember, uh, does not, it, it does not allow for authoritative books extra biblical books or extra sources of divine authority of position or of doctrine. Uh, the, the, the book of Mormon is this extra book that the Mormons have, in, have involved in. And the Bible says you can't add to or take away from God's word. Uh, the, the Quran has extra books. I mean, they're, they're, no, 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 we can't. We are fighting for a faith that once was delivered for all of us, verse, one, verse 3 says. This is what we're fighting for. This is what we're about. And we have to remember that our faith is built on objective truth and that you and I don't get the ability to edit, distort, take away from, or add to. We do not get editorial privilege over this whatsoever. And the world that we live in says, hey, I don't know if I really believe all of the Bible. 
And our world says, okay, there is no such thing as absolute truth, so whatever's true for you is true for you, and it can be different than what's true for me. Really? Seriously? Like, if you put water in your gasoline tank, and you believe it's high-octane premium gasoline, it's still going to kill your engine. It's not going to run. If you drink bleach and go, oh, no, this is a great lemonade, I don't care what you tell yourself, it will eat you from the inside out. Because just because you believe something, just because you think something, does not mean that it is true. Amen. Woo. Thank you, Tammy. You shout me down better than I'm preaching right now. And we live in a world that just, the world kind of teaches this. And it teaches this so that we all get along with one another. But the problem is, is that everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And there is no truth and there is no playbook and there is no right and there is no wrong. So it's just this muddy, swampy middle. And then we wonder why we have problems. Because if you're okay with doing something and you're not okay with it, then you just be okay and you just be okay and let's just all get, how do you have laws? How do you have any amount of order? How do you have any amount? You don't. Remember, confusion always comes from the enemy. Chaos always comes from the enemy of our soul. God is the one that comes about and says, no, this is truth. Walk ye in it. This is the way to do it. Walk ye in it. And if you can't walk ye in it, you like that King James? I just threw in there a little Shakespeare. You walk. That's my tribute to London today with the Packers. Walk ye in it. If you can't walk ye in it, then there is grace. But you don't get to change the book. And that's the truth. And so now he's not speaking to people outside the church. He's speaking to people inside the church. This is not anything new today. Well, I see people that come in, raise their hands, love God, give, serve. And then something happens. They've got a friend. They've got a child. They've got a parent. They've got somebody. And they just, that person is completely off, just completely left the grid, completely left everything of God's word. And they're okay with that. And it's like, no, no, man, you got to conform to God's word. If God's word says this is wrong or it's a sin, it's a sin. If God's word says this is permissible, it's permissible. It's very simple. I don't get to write the rules. You don't get to write the rules. Jude says, no, 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 this is not about adding to. This is about us realizing it's God's word, period. So how do we fight? Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So our weapons of warfare are not carnal. They're not worldly. I'm not fighting you. I'm fighting the devil that's in this world that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy me, my marriage, my home, my family, my kids, my life. And listen, I don't care how feeble, I don't care how sweet, I don't care how nice mama is, you back her into a corner with her walker, she's going to come out fighting. Amen? That's deep. That's, that's, that's Aaron Cole version right there. Uh, it's, she's going to, because we, at some point, there is this thing, man, it's that Popeye moment. I can stand all I can stand and I can't stand no more, right? Because I, I, I didn't write the book. This is just what it says. And, but my, my fight is not against people. 
This is what we have to understand. Our fight is not against people. Our fight is not against these structures that are in this world. Our fight is against Satan himself. So how do we do that? Verse 13 goes on that we take up the full armor of God. And when you put on the full armor of God, the first thing that Paul says to the church in Ephesus is the belt of truth. Why is that the first piece of armor. I don't have time to unpack all of this, but it's because the way the armor was, was given, everything was connected to that belt. Everything below held up on it, everything above attached to it so that you didn't lose it in warfare. It was all on truth. It was the very center of your being. It's got to be the bedrock, the core of what you do, because if you don't know what you believe, you're going to be lost. If your kids don't know what they believe, they're going to be lost. If you don't know where to stand, and if you can't stand in this world, if you can't stand in the church, you're definitely going to have a hard time standing in the world. But if we don't know what is truth and we don't stand on those things, if it doesn't begin with the belt of truth, then we're lost. Processes of truth and of defending the truth is, first of all, you and I should be studying the truth. Get into a life group. Get into a Bible study. Begin to read the, the soap, the scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Just two chapters a day. Just begin. Hey, man, I'm not real consistent. Well, at least you're getting three days in, right? You, you lost four, I get that, but at least you're getting three days in. So you just began somewhere, you began, but you began to study God's word. Then you live that truth, because as you begin to study that truth, it's gonna come out, you're gonna live it, and then you're gonna begin to speak the truth. But you cannot speak truth if you don't live it, and you cannot live it if you don't know what you believe. And the truth of the matter is the surveys that are done today is that the millennial generation after me, I'm a Gen X, only 2% of those in evangelical churches, Protestant churches in America, actually believe that the Bible is completely true. We're talking about inside the church, 2%. So no wonder people go, I, 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 this is kind of what I think. And I don't mean to be mean. I, I really, I don't mean to be mean. Uh, Ryan may get on to me later for this. But my dad used to look at me sometimes and he would get really, like he wanted me to know something. And he would go, I don't care what you think. This is the way this is. And, and I mean this in the most humble, kind, pleading way that I can. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. It matters what God's word says. And there are times for all of us, myself included, where I don't like what his word says. There are times where I'm convicted by what his word says. There are times where my lifestyle runs completely diametric to what his word says. And in that moment, I have to make a decision. Am I gonna continue to live in my sin? Am I gonna continue to excuse my behavior? Am I gonna continue to rationalize it? Or am I going to conform myself to God's word and walk it out and ask God to give me grace and strength and forgiveness? Yeah, that's what I have to do, because he's God and I'm not. Second question that this passage asks us is, will you offend the truth? Will you offend the truth? Look at verse four. For certain people have crept in, speaking inside the church, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny only our master and Lord Jesus Christ. The word pervert in the Greek means to twist or to distort. Ungodly people who twist or distort the grace of God. 
into what? Into sensuality and deny Jesus. The problem was an outright denial of God or his grace, but it was these small incremental distortions of God's grace and of who Jesus was. And the danger comes in in twisting. Well, how close can I get and to sin without really, with it being okay? And, and, and what, can, can I do this? And, you know, can I, what about? Like, probably one of the biggest things that I see today, 20 years ago, there were sins that if you would have told me 20 years ago, we would be debating whether this is a sin in the church, I would tell you you're crazy because it's Old Testament, New Testament. But today, it's a hot topic. It's a debated topic. There are complete denominations that have completely left the way they thought 20 years ago and they've changed their mind today. Sin of homosexuality. Now, do I think homosexuality is a worse sin than anything else? No. No, I think sin is sin. It doesn't matter. If you're a church gossip, read, read what Paul writes in the book of Romans. The, the whoremonger, do I need to explain what that is? You've got kids in this room, so think about that. And the adulterer, the gossip, the church gossip is between those two in the lake of fire. So it's not like there's this elevated level of sin. But there is this, there is this, um, this idea today that, well, homosexuality is okay. What? So go the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the law strictly prohibits any sexual activity outside a husband and a wife, and a husband and a wife is a man and a woman. There is no exception at all. As a matter of fact, God brought wrath and fire down from heaven because of people that literally were completely stiff-necked about this and refused to do this and destroyed entire cities over the sin of homosexuality. And people go, because I've had this conversation with theologians. Matter of fact, I had this conversation with a leading theologian from, a, from a, a, a university in Europe who was fascinated with the fact that I believe that there was a sin called homosexuality or that homosexuality was a sin. And uh, so it's this. And, and so they would go, well, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Nobody denies that it's there. It's just Old Testament. Okay, let's get into the New Testament. So the New Testament, Paul is very straightforward. Jude is alluding to it here that they have, that they're basically perverting the gospel. They're twisting the gospel for their own sensuality. That can be a whole lot of things, but sensuality in that original language is talking about moral perversion. It's talking about sinful perversion. It's talking about sexual perversion. And so what they simply do is go, they, I'm talking about people inside the church, theologians go, and even some of you right now are just going, he is so old school. I, he, did, he needs to listen to this podcast and he listens to the YouTube channel. No, you need to listen to Aaron Cole at lifechurchwi.com. I just, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't become my mother in this moment. Let me keep this out. She's like, oh, that's my boy. Yes. She texts me a week, you're the best preacher. I'm like, mom, I'm your son. I know I'm a little biased, but I'm telling you, you're really good. So anyhow, my point is, is that they typically, they just go in and they, complete, they completely cut Paul out. So let's take, which is most of the New Testament. Why? It's what Jude's talking about here. They're perverting the truth and the grace. And so all of a sudden, well, Jesus, so let's just look at what Jesus did. Well, let's go there. I would love to go there. 
It's what I did with this theologian. And he says to me, Jesus never specifically speaks to the truth about the sin of homosexuality. And I go, let's get real about this. You have a degree, and I rattle off his, where he came from. And I'm working on my doctorate right now. So the leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they kept trying to, the Bible says over and over and over, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, entrap him in his words, entrap him with his doctrine making sure he was parsing every bit of Levitical, Mosaic law correctly. Yes. I mean, to the point of like when they're walking through the fields on Sabbath and they grab the grain from the top of the heads and they're eating the grain whole, they're calling them on that and Jesus has to defend his actions. When he heals someone on the Sabbath, he has to defend his actions. And he does. So you mean to tell me that Jesus was completely cool with the subject of homosexuality and there was no longer sinful immorality and everybody could do whatever was right in their own eyes as long as they loved one another? There is no way on God's green earth. They would have burned him at the stake. They needed no other reason. If Jesus would have had this open ideology that homosexuality was okay, it would be so much in contrast to the Old Testament law that Jesus said he came to fulfill that they literally would have been done with him. They would have not have need, needed Pontius Pilate. They would have not have needed a trial. They wouldn't have needed a Barabbas as a scapegoat. The only reason why they do those things is because they have to do it in the middle of the night because he had such favor with the people and they didn't have a case against him. So they bring him to Pontius Pilate and they go, he's trying to be a revolutionary. He's trying to start an insurrection against Rome. You need to squelch this. This is gonna be good for your political career. It's gonna be good with, with your favor with Caesar if you get this Jewish uh, uh, rebel under control. And Pontius Pilate pushes back and says, but I don't find any fault with him. Herod, the king of the Jews, I don't find any fault with him. And Herod doesn't want to go against Pontius Pilate because he's trying to gain favor because it's all about politics and power. And so the only thing that gets him out is bringing Barabbas up in front of the people and turning the crowd and going. They had no, they had no ground to stand on because he never violated the law. And so my point to you is simply this, is that, is that people kind of say, well, well, this is okay. Well, really? Well, yeah, because I have a friend who, and I just know that they, they go to church and they raise their hands, and so it should be okay. Can I just help you with something? Just because you go to a garage does not mean you're a car. And just because you go to Taco Bell does not turn you into a taco. Do you, right? Are we on the right page? Coming to church doesn't make you any more saved or unsaved than anything else that you do. It's a condition of my heart. It's not my outward experience, it's a condition of my heart. I can fake you out. Many will stand before him on that day and say, but Lord, Lord, I did this in your name and I said this in your name and I drove out devils in your name and I, and I healed people in your name. And he said, but I didn't know you. And so I say this not to be mean and to be condescending because if you're dealing and you're battling with homosexuality, then here's what I'm saying to you is I think the struggle is real and I think what's happening is the enemy of your soul, this is your thorn in the flesh. This is your issue. This is your thing. But, and meaning you've got to fight this out because we all, every, Superman had kryptonite. We all have sin and temptation that, that tempts us. There, all of us have weaknesses. All of us have things that we struggle with. This side of eternity. 
and we're only an overcomer by the grace of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that I go and live in my sin. It's like the woman at the well who had been married multiple times and was living with her husband. What did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and just do what you're doing. You're okay. Go and I'm just going to take care of everything. You just keep living in sin. He says, no, go and sin no more. The woman that's caught with adultery, that's brought to the center square and everybody's there to stone her and Jesus defends the actions. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And everyone knew their own sin and their own depravity in their heart. And he looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. I'm the only one that has the ability to take your life. And I choose not to, because I came to give life. Go and sin no more. It's not go and your sins are paid for. It's not go and sin the way you want to go. It's, it's do not allow yourself to get caught into this trap where you kind of get sucked into this, that you just kind of make the Bible what you want it to be and you cut out the things that you don't want to cut it out, that, that you don't like, and you pervert it and you twist. That's what was happening. And that's what's happening even today. And should the Lord tear his coming, it'll happen tomorrow because there are people that want to justify their actions and their behaviors. But the problem is, it doesn't matter what you think or what I say, it's what God's word says. And we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our lives, every one of us. And we're not going to stand there with each other. We're not going to stand there with our spouse. We're not going to stand there with our kids. We're not going to stand there with our parents. I'm not going to be your pastor assigned to you standing there with you at the day of judgment. No, we're gonna stand there before God and we're gonna give an account for our lives. That's why truth is so important. That's why me telling you the truth, even if you reject it, is important. Because it's your life, it's your choice. I'm not here to condemn you. Please don't take that. And even me using homosexuality as an example, I'm not trying to elevate that as a bigger sin than another sin. I think this is sin across the board, but this is something that 20 years ago was never even debated in church. And today there are people that just think it's fine, it's okay. And if I don't talk about it, then I must be okay with it. And there's some 14 year old boy that's battling his own, his, the, the, the lust of the flesh that's happening. And if I keep my mouth shut and I don't say anything, he may say, well, pastor thinks it's okay. And the church thinks it's okay. And we're just quiet about it. And they just kind of go and whatever, and just kind of gives into that to where I would say, no, 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 no. Everybody in this room has something they're struggling with. And that may be the something that you're struggling with. And that doesn't mean that you're a second class citizen. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means that God has a plan for your life, but the enemy has you in his scope and he's trying to take you out. And if you'll drop to your knees and you'll give it to the Lord and you will, you will repent and you'll give whatever that is to the Lord, whoever you are, whether you're, whatever you're dealing with, God's grace is sufficient and he will strengthen you. But what we cannot do is change scripture because we've got a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a friend who's dealing with X, Y, and Z. We can't do that because we don't get that power to do that. That's only his power, that's his truth. And this is what's wrong with the world in which we're living in. This is what was wrong with Jude's world is that there's this ideology that I can just kind of do what I wanna do and make it what I wanna make it and we can't. Oh, I wish, I'm gonna use Jude's word, beloved, I wish that we could. You have no idea as a pastor how much I wish I could just go, just say this prayer and then go live your life. I wish it worked like that. Man, I see people struggle and it breaks my heart. Man, I see, I see moms and dads grieving over their kids. I see people praying for lost loved ones. I, 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 I feel that in your heart and, and I sense that. And so I say all of this with humility, but we can't. It's the truth that sets us free. 
The lie of the enemy just brings confusion and just keeps us bound in the sin and in the shame and in the guilt. But the truth of God's word goes through. It's not by persuasive preaching. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we take God's word and we take truth, God's truth into our hands and we twist it to our own liking, it's no longer truth. It's just your idea. So what do I do when I disagree with God? Maybe you're here and you're really struggling with some of the things I'm talking about. Maybe you're here and you're really struggling with some things in scripture. First of all, revisit your presuppositions, your ideas, your desires, your interests, and acknowledge that your ideas and feelings may be wrong. You do this on your own. Sit down with the presuppositions that you have, the worldviews that you have, the ideas that you have, the desires that you have, the interests that you have, and acknowledge before the Lord, not before me, and even to yourself, hey, I, I'm limited, I'm finite, God's infinite, he has no beginning and end, maybe he knows more. Secondly, re-examine what the Bible teaches. Go back to God's word and see what it teaches. Go back to his word and say, what does his word say? And again, we believe the Bible is inerrant, which means the Old Testament is not in competition with the New Testament. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is the fulfillment. Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, the Old Testament, but I came to fulfill it. So in following Jesus, I'll fulfill the law. But that doesn't mean that I get to do away with what is right and what's wrong and what's sin and what's not sin. Re-examine what the Bible teaches. Third is re realign your beliefs with God's word. Well, that sounds really arrogant, really, really narrow-minded. Yep. Listen, you don't have to personally jump off a 50-story building to understand that gravity exists. Smart people, listen, observe, and go, that's truth. Write that down. Don't do that. It's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge that's applied. This is why God gave us his word. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. So why are they in God's word? Because those are the mistakes that we as humans make over and over and over. That's why Jude preaches on this, speaks on this particular message and this particular point is because this ideology of watering down the gospel, perverting the truth from my own sensual behavior and to deny really who Jesus is. It's that human nature. It's that stinking thinking. It's that flesh. And lastly is reestablish your trust in God and his word as the ultimate authority over your life. Do you believe that? It's a rhetorical question. But do you believe that? Do you believe God's word is yes and amen? Do you lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you'd fall? Not Aaron's word. Listen, my words will pass away, but his words never will. I'm just a messenger. I'm just here saying, this is what his word says. What you do with it, that's your business. So today I wanna end our time with just some reflection and kind of an anthem of a song. So if you would at every campus, Germantown campus, Appleton campus, Brookfield campus, if you would stand to your feet, everybody in these rooms, everybody, every campus, the worship teams at every campus, if they're not already on the platform, are gonna make their way to the platform. And I'm gonna pray. 
And when I say amen, then they're going to kind of lead us. And this particular chorus that we're gonna be singing is, it's affirming that we believe in God's word. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the saints communion. We believe in the holy church. Why? Because that's what God's word teaches. This is not rocket science. It's much more difficult to live than it is to preach, but it's God's word. And I know what I'm saying to you today flies in the face of the world in which you live in. And I wish I could tell you that I think it's gonna get easier, but I don't know that it will. Are you gonna defend the truth? It's what Jude is asking. Are you gonna stand for God's word when people around you fall? I'm not saying you have to stand up, listen, I'm not saying you have to go to your office tomorrow and stand up in the break room and tell people they're going to hell and you've got the answer, don't go do that. They'll, they'll walk you out of the building. I'm not saying you've got to go door to door and knock on people's door and tell them that Jesus is coming and, and that they need, or, you know, if they were to die right now and stand before God, what would they say? I mean, I'm not telling you have to do any kind of gospel tracker. I'm not saying you got to go put a, a, a Bible bumper sticker on the back of your car, right? I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying in your own heart and in your own life, let's begin with us. Look, if we'll live right in our hearts and in our lives, our kids will see that and we produce who and what we are. If we'll live right according to God's word, it becomes highly attractive to a world that's lost their way. Because people that are directionists will look at you and go, man, you look like you know where you're going. You look like you've got an idea of what's going on. You, you look, everybody else is losing their head, but you have a peace. And where does that peace come from? And you've got a joy in the middle. Of it. And I don't understand because everything is crazy. The market's crazy. But yet you have this. And that's when Paul says, and they begin to ask of you the joy of your salvation. And that's when you give them the answer. It's not me. It's Jesus. And you don't have to know chapter and verse. You can just tell them your story but it begins with me, it begins with you. And please, I'm not trying to water down or elevate anything, but even today, my illustration of how we so digress away from truth, I'm not trying to put a scarlet letter on anybody. I don't think that's right, because I'm not your judge. But God's word speaks to these issues and to our sin so that we don't have to live in them and die in them and be bound by them. Jesus came that we can have life. And whatever you're facing, internal, external, whatever's going on in your world, he knows it and he is more than enough and he's given you the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, I encourage you to cast your burden, cast your cares, cast your sin on him. If you need to repent before him, do it in this moment. If you need to just be thankful for his grace, do it in this moment, but embrace his truth. Father, I thank you today for your word. And I thank you today for your people. And I pray in these next few moments as we simply sing and declare our faith, that we will be making a statement to ourselves. That when Jude asks the question of us, will we defend the truth? The answer will be yes. And the truth isn't Aaron's revelation or Aaron's gospel according to, no, 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 no. 
It's you. It's not about me. It's about you. I must decrease. You must increase. Less of me, more of you. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Holy Spirit, give me grace. Jesus, apply the grace that you paid for on Calvary's cross to my sin and take my sin away. But help me not to just be forgiven, but let me go and sin no more. Let me repent, which means to confess my sin and to change my actions. Today, in this series, do this work in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing together.